0: Hello, and thank you for joining the podcast, Emergency Minute. Your host is an emergency medicine physician who brings over 20 years of experience in healthcare. Dr. Parente will take you through some of the trending topics and challenges faced in the ER and all of healthcare. Join in the fight against misinformation and don't forget to follow on social media at Dr. J Parente. Now, here's your host, Dr. John Parente. All right, welcome back everyone. How are y'all feeling? Thanks for joining us this week for another episode of Emergency Minute. This week, I can't wait to talk to you about Episode 6, Concussions in Athletes. Before we get started, I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening, commenting, sharing, reviewing. Much love to you. This week is definitely sponsored by all of you. Lastly, I have some of my podcasts on video now on YouTube, so be sure to check them out at Dr. J Parente. And don't forget to click subscribe. So why do I care about concussions? And more importantly, why do you care? Well, I see concussions every day in the ER, so I spend quite a bit of time talking about them to patients and families. But what about you? Well, maybe after listening to this podcast, you can avoid a trip to the ER for minor head injury. Or maybe you will decide to let little Johnny play sports after all. Or maybe you won't. (laughs) Depends which way you see this, I guess. Or maybe you will finally buy your child a bike helmet so my kids don't feel like total freaks because they are apparently the only kids on earth that are so oppressed that they are forced to wear these devices. But I digress. Okay, so let's jump right into it. What is a concussion? Essentially, it's a traumatic head injury that affects your brain function. Well, who gets concussions? Just about everybody. We primarily see two subgroups in the ER. The younger patients that get hit in the noggin during sports or more commonly, the elderly that go to ground. Oh, and they're usually on blood thinners. As one of my attendings in residency used to say, so grandma fell down the stairs, and now grandma has a head injury. Or as we refer to it in healthcare, is that the gravity is really strong, making all of these old people fall. Or that someone DFO'd, done fell over. But for the sake of this podcast, we will focus on the younger patient. Mostly because we aren't as concerned about concussions in the elderly, rather we're more concerned about intracranial hemorrhage, which is bleeding in the brain. You see, as we collect birthdays in life, and and that's a Johnism, by the way, for for getting old, and I I bust that out on patients all the time. They love it. So as we collect birthdays, our brains actually shrink. When that happens, the skull, which is the bony structure that holds whatever is remaining of your brain, that, that stays the same size. So when you fall and you hit your head and you're older, The brain sort of bounces around within the skull, which causes a tear in one of the bridging vessels, and that causes bleeding. This is what's called a subdural hematoma. But again, this is something we see more commonly in elderly patients, and the focus of this podcast is on younger patients with concussions. So, boy, did I get off track. Let's get back to head injuries in young people. The question I hear at least once a day does Johnny have a concussion? Well, what are the symptoms of concussion? And what is the difference between a symptom and a sign? Well, signs are things that you can see. An example of this would be the magical person in the NFL who is authorized to have a player removed from the field. If they see him walking off the field and he's walking crooked, or he nearly passes out or collapses as we saw last year. And oh, by the way, teaser alert, I may or may not be discussing DeMar Hamlin and athletes collapsing on the football field next week. You might wanna hit subscribe to hear that one. Sorry for the selfish plug, moving on. Some of the signs of concussion are things that can be observed, such as someone who is dazed or stunned, someone who moves clumsily. Perhaps they're answering questions very slowly or they can't recall things that they normally would be able to. Also getting knocked unconscious is a sign of concussion. Memory loss is a big one too. Often in the ER after we see patients that come in with a significant MVC, motor vehicle crash, patients will ask me the same question over and over again. It's actually pretty interesting to see. Another sign to look for, although this would be further down the road than an ER visit, is a change in mood and behavior. Patients may be more sluggish or grumpier than usual, which is basically like me during a Browns game or after a night of drinking. Speaking of football, does anyone remember watching the scary scene last year with Tua Tagovailoa? He had such a bad concussion that he had like involuntary movement of his arm and fingers, and he was like all contracted and he couldn't control them, and this was. Broadcast on national TV, this physical sign of concussion really shocked a lot of people. Now, what are the symptoms of concussion? Well, these are far more likely to be presented to us in the emergency room visit headaches, nausea, dizziness, visual disturbance, feeling foggy or having trouble concentrating. Those are some of the most common. These are often the symptoms that bring patients to the emergency department. So, how do we diagnose this? Well, in the ER, we really only have one tool, and that is to CT or not to CT. The problem is the CT doesn't show a concussion. I tell my patients all the time, look, a concussion is not something I can see. It's not something that will show up on a CAT scan, show up on an MRI. A lot of patients want to come in and get the CT to make sure they don't have a concussion. A concussion is just a, a term basically that is used for a head injury that causes symptoms. So what's the purpose of the CT? Well, basically to rule out intracranial hemorrhage, bleeding within the brain. Now there are some other findings such as skull fracture and that's a lot more rare. So how do we determine who gets a CT and who does not? Well, luckily we have the scoring system that's called PCARN, which stands for Pediatric Emergency Care Applied Research Network. And this helps us sort all this out. Basically, this is an algorithm that helps us pick one of three paths. Patients who get a CT, patients who don't get a CT, and then that middle ground of patients who won't get a CT, but will observe them for four hours in the ER to make sure they're not having any worsening signs or symptoms. Now, PCARD is based on several factors, such as age, is the patient more somnolent, which means sleepy, agitated, repetitive questioning, or other signs of altered mentation. Next, it takes into account things like loss of consciousness or severe headache, vomiting, or falls from height or high-impact trauma. If you think about a baseball coming off an aluminum bat at a traveling at a high rate of speed, that's someone who's going to get a head CT. It also mentions dangerous mechanisms, which is good too. For example if we see a patient who's in a rollover MVC, there are four victims, two of which were killed on scene. The other one is lifelighted to a level one trauma center. Hell yeah, that person's getting a head CT. In fact, 99% chance that patient's getting what's called PAN scan, which is CT of the head, neck, chest, abdomen, pelvis. Just based on that mechanism, you have fatalities at the scene, you're going to be a little bit more cautious and a lot more aggressive with your workup. This is pretty much a standard of care in most trauma centers. So after we get the signs and symptoms and sort of input this data into the PCARN algorithm, everyone gets recommended to fall into one of those three buckets, either the patients that get the CT, the patients that we don't recommend a CT, or the patients that don't get a CT but we recommend that we observe them in the ER for four hours. Keep in mind, this is just a guideline. Occasionally, parents are dead set on getting the head CT. We do see this. And honestly, if a parent asks me for a head CT, 99% of the time, I'm going to get it. I don't want to miss an intracranial hemorrhage. It's pretty rare, especially with some of the things that we're talking about, but I don't want to miss it. The question that becomes, why don't we just CT everyone? Well, cost, time, but most importantly, radiation. And despite what our radiology colleagues think in the ER, we do try to use discretion when ordering CT scans. It's a ton of radiation. And look, at the end of the day, the more CTs you get, the more likely you are to get cancer. That's a fact. So what is normal with a concussion? Well, normal would be you know having a mild headache, some nausea, some dizziness, maybe feeling not quite as sharp as usual, feeling a little bit off or foggy, not as much energy. Those things are very normal. What's not normal, having a severe 10 out of 10 headache, vomiting across the room, any neurological symptom. So if you're like Cousin Eddie in Christmas vacation and every time Catherine revved up the microwave, you piss your pants and forget who you are for about a half an hour or so, you might want to go to the local ER and get checked out. So what are the treatment options? Well, not much really. Our job in the ER is to number one, rule out the bad stuff. Number two, treat the symptoms to try to better control them. And then number three, refer to a specialist if the injury is significant enough. We do the CT or we observe, and then we offer medications for nausea and medications like Phenergan or Zofran, or even medications like Anavert, which is Meclizine for like dizziness, And we refer for head injury precautions. What are head injury precautions? Well, first and foremost, you want to repeat an injury if possible. So you hold your child out of competitive sports, gym class, etc. I always tell my patients, think about this like a bruise on the brain. What if I punched you in the arm and you had a large bruise, and then two days later, I punched you again in the same spot? What would happen? Well, it would hurt more. There'd be more bruising. It certainly would take longer to recover, right? So those are some of the things that we talk about. Well, what are some of the things that you can do to help yourself? Well, if you sprained your ankle, you would rest your ankle, right? Like you wouldn't get up and run around and go run a marathon. So you need to rest your brain. So how does one rest their brain? Well, I'm pretty sure you could ask my wife, who probably has a pretty good answer of how I rest my brain when she's trying to speak to me. But in all seriousness, it means to remove your face that is buried into your phone, tablet, and computer 24 seven. I tell my patients, more screen time, more nausea, headaches, dizziness, and just generally not feeling well. Just like if you got up and started running around on that sprained ankle. In this day and age, we don't realize how much of our time is spent with our faces buried into our phone, but that's all another topic for another podcast. So can we prevent concussions? Well, I mean, to some degree, yes. It does seem like the entire world is working towards making sports safer. Helmets are constantly changing, you know, reducing the chances of concussion. You know, If you do get hit hard, coaches and trainers are more... Certainly aware of this to pull you off the field, to become evaluated. When I was playing football, we used to call it getting your bell rung. And no joke, you were put in on the very next play. And I think this trickles down to everyone else now, too. If the coaches and players are more aware, so are the trainers, so are the sports medicine docs, family docs, and of course the ER docs. A lot of people are looking for this, and that's that's a good thing. There's a lot more awareness. And although football leads the headlines with some fairly high-profile cases of concussions, especially guys like Andrew Luck, who retired so young and early in his career, The saga of Tua Tagovailoa, concussions on national TV last year, just about any other sport has a potential for significant head injury. Certainly lacrosse, soccer, cheerleading, if you think about pyramids and falls from height, hockey, MMA, boxing, etc. Sure, football is a large percentage of concussions, but I think you'd be surprised to see these other sports high up on the list as well. Now, more recently, we've seen another term become more mainstream, CTE, or Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. This is a disease that is a result of chronic recurrent traumatic brain injuries. What's interesting here is that we can only diagnose this, or I I should say prove the diagnosis, after the person dies and the brain is biopsied. We've known about this disease process for like 100 years. We used to call it being punch drunk when boxers were at the tail end of their career and they appeared this way. So repeated brain trauma triggers a breakdown of the brain tissue and builds up an abnormal protein called tau. This leads to some of the common symptoms of CTE. Well, what are those? Memory loss, confusion, impulse and judgment impairment, aggression, depression, suicidality, Parkinsonism, and then eventually progressive dementia. We still have so much to learn about this disease process. Recently, there have been some high-profile suicides of former NFL players, such as Junior Seau and Dave Duerson, amongst a much longer list. That have likely pushed this issue to the forefront. Perhaps some good can arise from these players' deaths. According to a study in 2017, this is crazy, donated brains of former NFL players, 99% of these tested NFL brains had evidence of CTE. That's shocking. College football players, 91%, and then some high school football players, 21%. Now, the selection bias of this study is very clear. Only players that donated their brains were people who played and had head injuries and obviously had severe symptoms or may even died from CTE. So those, those people would be much more likely to donate their brains than say a perfectly healthy player that never had any symptoms, never had any issues. So obviously more research needs to be done, but still this is a pretty alarming finding. And you can actually donate your brain, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna attach the link on social media at www.unitedbrainassociation.org. And they encourage those who played and those who did not play to donate. Uh, Unfortunately, probably half my listeners have already donated their brains, but that's all another topic for another conversation. But in all seriousness, if this is something that you are passionate about, check out their website. And I do think it's important that people that didn't play donate as well, because we need to kind of compare, you know, sort of people who did versus people who didn't, as opposed to just having the brains of everyone who did. So, Dr. Parente, do you let your kids play football? I do. I do. And I think a lot of people don't feel this way. You know, Bo Jackson has come out and publicly stated that if he knew the risks of CTE, he would not have played. And he's very vocal about not letting his kids play. I will never forget watching Bo Jackson play. He's one of the most talented athletes I've ever seen. And it would have been a shame to not see that skill on display. But I mean, I get it. It's his life. I don't get a vote on it. And he ended up having a huge uh, injury that ended his career regardless, and it wasn't a head injury. So I'm grateful for having seen him play. That's for sure but you can see how there may be athletes in the future that we won't see because they choose not to play because of this disease process. But I still think the good outweighs the bad. Most of these cases seem to be with those with very lengthy college and NFL careers. Many of these players played at a time when you never came off the field. It was a sign of weakness if you did. Last year, my, you know, my son plays football. He sprained his foot and came out and didn't play the rest of the game. I was so ticked. But I didn't catch myself for being too hard on them. I mean, I was brought up in a time where coming out of the game was weakness. But kids do get a lot of benefits from team sports—you know, strength, fitness, camaraderie, leadership, participating within a team, and learning discipline. These kids are much less likely to get into trouble. They're much more likely to get into drugs. My oldest son is a pretty darn good football player, and I enjoy watching him. Maybe i changed change my stance if he gets hit hard or, God forbid, gets concussion one of these years. I, it's possible. I do know that he plays in numerous sports. Just a few years ago, he actually was finishing the baseball season amongst the other 19 seasons he played that year without a single injury. And they went to the team party afterwards, and he was on some sort of, like, water bounce house situation where he, like, fell off the top and had, like, a complete deformity of his forearm, broke both his ulna and his radius. <laughs> He didn't get hurt playing sports, he just got hurt in the party afterwards. And we just actually saw this recently with the New York Mets closer, Edwin Diaz, who was playing baseball with Team Puerto Rico, and in the post-game celebration was jumping up and down and tore his patellar tendon. So the take-home is you can't keep these people and these kids and these athletes in bubble wrap forever. So thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Emergency Minute Concussions. If you like what you've been listening to, please consider sharing the show with someone you know. You can follow me on any social media platform at Dr. J Parente. Join us next week for a really exciting show. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this sudden cardiac death and what happened to Damar Hamlin. Trust me, you're not gonna wanna miss this. What are some things that can kill a young, healthy athlete on a football field? Is there anything you can do? Is there anything you should do? Should you have your kids get elective echocardiogram? Again, these are things that we're gonna discuss next week. You're not gonna wanna miss this. So happy St. Patty's Day to everyone out there. And as always, peace, love, and happiness to everyone. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on Emergency Minute. Join us next time for more hard hitting discussions on some of today's issues in healthcare. Don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify or follow on social media at Dr. J. Parente.